One of the most painful realities of the Christian faith is that some people who once professed an active, vibrant faith in Jesus choose to walk away. Some cite intellectual obstacles for their reasons for leaving the faith. How can anyone trust the Bible when it seems to contradict science? Or how can anyone believe that someone actually came back from the dead? Others claim that it's church hurt, hypocrisy, and abuse from other Christians that's led them to walk away. Still others point to a personal tragedy or hurt that's led them to a deep disappointment in the idea of a loving yet all-powerful God. How do we make sense of the stories of people leaving Christianity? More than that, how do we respond to friends, family members, and loved ones who just don't believe anymore? Everybody, the Beards of Bible podcast. My name is Josh. I'm joined by my co-host Gabriel Joel Rutledge. How are you this morning, sir? I'm doing well. Doing well. Just uh, down here in the basement, hiding from the rest of the family. And mm. but, but I feel like me recording at least half of half of the podcast being recorded from a basement really amps up the credibility of this podcast. I think so. I really do. It's like a top secret bunker that you're yeah. hiding out because what we're talking about is so controversial and so so important. It's like I could be hiding out from like radioactive fallout and <laughs> you know, your kids. <laughs> and yeah, like uh pandemics and World War Three, but you know what? I'm mm. hiding out from my five year old, really. Like yeah. just the bottom <laughs> Yeah, so does your five year old because this is what my five year old's doing right now. Does your five-year-old ever get out of bed in the middle of the night and come down to you guys' room? Mm-hmm. How often does that happen? Mm. Two to three times a week, I'll wake up uh, oh, okay. with, with the five-year-old's legs over my face. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just... Is that just a stage they go through? Because he's our oldest. I don't... He's the first five-year-old that we've had. Hmm. Yeah, because my 13-year-old, you can't even get him up, like... You you can't <laughs> wake him, so yeah, it's just a stage. I think okay. I think they just wake up and they have to go pee and they have to find mom and and do all this. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's just a stage. So what we went through is this. So I I collect vinyl records and I like classic albums. And something that Aiden, our oldest, likes to do is we sit in my office at the house and we go through different vinyl records and pull them out and look at the, you know, liner notes and the the jacket and stuff. And he, he really enjoys that. Mm -hmm. And, um, one of the ones that he got into was the wall by Pink Floyd. Mm. And so he pulled out the album, the wall. And I don't know how familiar you are with like the illustrations Mm -mm. of the wall. Like I didn't realize, I mean, he's looking at it and I guess I was so familiar with the album. I didn't really know that that might be disturbing to a five-year-old but some of the <laughs> illustrations are like really grotesque and kind of um a little bit scary oh yeah i'm looking it up now yeah yeah i could see how yeah oh, and yeah. so yeah so i didn't think about that and he's like asking me about the album so i'm like explaining like okay so it tells a story and here's what this song's about and so we kind of are walking through the album listening and he's like really engaged and really interested and so 
my dumb self sets him up for nightmares for the next week hmm. because all he can think about is the <laughs> the really mean teachers and the song that <laughs> if you don't eat your meat then you can't have your pudding so he started screaming when we went to lay him down i'm afraid of another brick in the wall and i'm like buddy it's just a story i'm sorry we're not gonna listen to it anymore i'm gonna hide that album from you but uh for about a week he was terrified of uh the wall by pink floyd and yeah. i felt terrible and so i've hidden that album far far away so he can't <laughs> get anywhere near it and so we can actually sleep through the night because he was getting up in the middle of the night and coming downstairs and i'm scared i'm scared i'm scared so yeah. it's funny the things that get kids like we don't let them watch any scary movies or anything that would be questionable at all but i guess i just didn't think about that he would be scared by that i don't know maybe that's just my my dumb self rookie rookie parenting mistake right there yeah i think they they have a higher level of sensitivity to it as well you know we as children sometimes we we um i don't know we just instinctually we're we're scared of things that as adults we've kind of grown more accustomed to yeah um you know we, we're just desensitized to a lot of that stuff but yeah i remember uh <laughs> when when i was probably five six years old we used to have at my church um, record burnings. Oh, you, did you guys ever do that? <laughs> we <laughs> we did, but it was more cassette tapes and CDs. But same concept. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. So so mm-hmm. just to paint a picture for everybody, uh, we would. I guess they were. I, I remember there being this backhoe, or oh, or like gosh. a like a bulldozer or something. I remember there's How many being records big... did the people in your church have? Well, yeah. I don't. I don't know. It was. I don't know if it was just people from inside the church or if it was like we would canvas uh like thrift stores or music stores i i don't know where all these records came from but there was there was probably a couple thousand records and it was all you know like that kind of stuff like it was like um you know like uh heavy metal um that kind of stuff like and so we would we would take all these uh (laughs) we would take all these records and start a fire and just like start throwing these and like slinging these records like frisbees onto the fire and stuff and i remember that was a lot of fun as a five or six year old and thinking, you know, and it was like a, it was like a crusade for us. We we're like, okay, you know, the more records you can burn, the, the somehow the more righteous this, uh, this generation will be. Or, you know, it was like we were cleansing our culture or something. And, you know, did you, did you hear the demon scream when you burn the records because of the melting plastic? <laughs> no. That but was I, always I just, the thing people would say is they'd be like, you can hear it. Listen to him. Listen. I'm like, well, when you heat up plastic, it makes a, a hissing yeah. sound. <laughs> I don't remember. I just remember standing like 20 feet away because the fire was like, you know, it was emitting like all these, these toxic, like black smoke. Yeah, 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 and we're yeah, like, yeah. we're like slinging these records into the thing. It was, it's just a, such a, such a weird memory, you know, of things that we do in the, I guess, late 80s and 90s evangelical Christianity. It's like you, you have these normative behaviors that are like, oh yeah, that was, but then the rest of the world looks at it and they're like, what what do you it's, it's like this weird uh third reich behavior that is yeah yeah, yeah, is yeah. you're exhibited. just like oh yeah didn't everybody do that yeah yeah so um yeah there, i think kind of segues into our our discussion today about people leaving the faith there there is some no doubt there is some weird things that christians do that are incongruent with culture around them but also incongruent with with scripture um and I think that that causes people a lot of hangups and a lot of hiccups. Um, 
if we don't really address those face on head on and, and rectify those kinds of things in our lives. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that, uh, as we're going to get into this topic, I think one of the things that we're going to see is that a lot of people get disillusioned with some of that stuff that maybe they grew up around or some of that stuff that they were exposed to. Mm-hmm. And so that is kind of a, for them, logical progression of, well, therefore I just don't believe in this anymore. And I think I'm done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I could see how you could get there. There are some, you know, people we went to college with who uh, have turned their back on the faith. Have, and, and it's almost like a fad yeah. now that you see. Um, Deconstructing your faith. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like yeah. this really um, postmodern. You know, we used to joke around in college, you know, we would say, well, I'm post hardcore i'm post this i'm post that <laughs> I'm post, you know? postmodern yeah 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 so so like these people are like well i'm post christian you know and yeah. it's almost like this it you have to like do this as a millennial christian and embrace you know all these other like like critical race theory and social justice and wokeness and mm-hmm. you have to you have to hug all of that stuff in the same time kind of publicly deconstructing your faith as almost like a almost like a virtue signaling kind of yeah. look guys I'm, I'm doing what we're supposed to be doing you know I'm, right. I'm my I'm, my consciousness is coming alive now as I'm beginning to throw off the shackles of of my faith yeah I, I definitely think that's that is becoming I think in vogue and mm-hmm. there's reasons for that but I think a lot of people that get attracted to that there's a I guess a logical like I said like a logical stair step of how they got there right Mm-hmm. Like they saw something about the practice of the Christian faith that bothered them. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of led them to go, man, sh- is that right? Should we be doing that? Should we be going out and, you know, burn- burning records and books like it's Fahrenheit <laughs> uh, 451? Should we really? I mean, is that really how we should be doing it? And yeah. And so then that leads them to go, well, maybe that's not a good practice. Well, maybe what I believed about this is not right. Well, maybe what I believed about all these other things is not right. Well, maybe this whole thing isn't right, you know? Mm. And I think that's just one category of people and yeah. one one symptom. And then there's people who their first exposure to real evil was from someone from within the church. Yeah. And that's they have super far, sad too. Yeah, they have far more legitimate reasons is to be deeply hurt and wounded by yeah. the faith. But we're gonna I think we're gonna break that out a little bit and talk yeah. about these different reasons today. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we'll talk today just about some of the reasons why people cite leaving Christianity. And again, this isn't like a thorough, you know, qualitative research. This is more or less anecdotal of um, stories that I've heard and been around and kind of look through those and try to understand where people are coming from. I think that's the the, the part of it that is really crucial for us as people who still hold on to the faith is how, how do we like, how do we understand like, man, there's a there's a lead up to this. It's not just somebody wakes up one morning and is just like, okay, I'm done. Mm-hmm. You know, for most people, it's a it's a slow fade, and then kind of look at it like a theological framework for understanding that. And then more than anything, like, what do we do about it? How can we um, pray for them and and stay connected to them and love them through that? Hopefully, continue to be a witness to Jesus uh, to them in the middle of that. But um, uh, there's an article that. Um, I found from medium.com this was last year may of last year and it was all about john steingard of the 
Canadian Christian rock band Hawk Nelson. And in May of last year, he declared publicly that he no longer believes in God. And this is his quote. And I think this is a pretty representative quote of a lot of people who kind of make that decision to walk away. And this is, this is what he said. He said, after growing up in a Christian home, being a pastor's kid, playing and singing in a Christian band, and having the word Christian in front of most of the things in my life, I am now finding that I no longer believe in God. And this article says, he is not alone. According to research by Barna, nearly two-thirds of U.S. 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up in church withdraw from church involvement as an adult after having been active as a child or teen. Two-thirds. Wow. Wow. Did, did you think it was that high? Because I, I would have guessed mm. maybe half. I didn't think, I didn't think yeah. it was that high. Yeah, I probably would about 50%, yeah. Um, article says it's clear from Steingard's announcement he had genuine questions and doubts about the Christian faith. Steingard says, if God is all-loving and all-powerful, why is there evil in the world? Can he not do anything about it? Does he choose not to? If God is loving, why does he send people to hell? The article goes on to say, these are questions that everyone asks in their head, but not as many ask out loud. The church often dismisses them with glib religious catchphrases like just have faith or God works in mysterious ways. Maybe we've convinced ourselves that it's unhealthy to discuss these difficult questions. We worry that exposed to the light, our faith will fade away. If it's tested, it may just shatter. But if our faith is that fragile, it probably was never true. If our God is so easily defeated, he is probably not truly uh, God whether we have built up castles of doctrine on flimsy foundations or have metaphorically curled ourselves up into a ball around the fundamentals of the gospel, avoiding the tough questions is never going to lead to any kind of real answers. Mm. Yeah. I think that's well put. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, man, what does that do for you when, you when you read about that? I mean, he's not alone. I mean, I think just in the past two years we've seen uh, you and I were talking about Josh Harris. Yeah. Uh, announced that he was leaving the faith. He's a very popular Christian author. Uh, Marty Sampson, who's a worship leader with the Hillsong movement, uh, songwriter as well, said he's no longer a, a Christian. And then, of course, this guy, Dan Steingard. What does that do for you, man? What kind of emotions do you feel when you when you see that happening? Hmm. Yeah, definitely sadness. Uh, but you, you want to ask, like, why, right? It's almost the yeah. same kind of feeling someone takes their own life it was a celebrity you want to be like why did they do that and so you naturally you want to dig a little bit like just this morning i was watching john steigard's um uh, explanation it's about an hour and a half long on youtube about why he's coming out of the of christian faith and why he's leaving all of that and and basically mm -hmm. walking turning his back on god and 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 denouncing belief in god um and yeah, he kind of goes through and explains. It was kind of this buildup of of seeing, um, you know, the different things. But I don't want to get into the detail right now. But you look at that and you're like, okay, am I able to reconcile all that? And and and, and it is your duty to be able to reconcile that. It is as believers, we should we should be working towards. Okay, if someone comes to me with some of the questions that John Steingard has, I I want to be able to have the answers. I want to be able yeah. to defend my faith. Um, and so I, I naturally, I, I'm like, okay, I kind of get a little bit like defensive and I'm like, okay, this is, that's a tough question there, but I think, I think I can grapple with that. So 
yeah, I, I just kind of dig around and I, I try to figure out why did they do this? And then yeah. do I have a good answer as to why I believe opposite of that? Sure. Yeah. Um, has this happened with any close family or close friends or? Oh yeah. 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 Um, yeah, both. Yeah. I've seen both walk away from the faith and for different reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, in some of it, Josh is like, there's a public admittance, a public like coming out that they are no longer part of the faith or that they, they've Mm -hmm. given up on God and a belief in God. And then sometimes it's a turning their back on it in a way that you can just tell from a lifestyle pattern of behavior that, okay, yeah, they don't believe this anymore. Yeah. And no, uh, same, same for me. And and, I mean, you and I have some of the same friends that mm -hmm. you and I've talked about that have walked away or. Um, and, and it is just kind of, I think more than anything, head scratching, mm-hmm. especially the ones that at one point you could look at their lives and their, you know, just the testimony of the words that they spoke about what they believed and say, man, at one point this was so vibrant and seemed so real. And then you just decided to walk away from this. Like what's, how did that happen? You know? And then there's even the theological question of, okay, so how how does that happen? Was that person truly born again? Were they truly a believer? Were they not? And I think sometimes it creates a lot of confusion with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, just personally, when I see you know a close friend or a family member that you know I can remember praying with and you know um, worshiping together in a church service with, and then seeing them basically say, "I don't I don't believe any of this anymore." I, I just I go back to those points in time, and I'm just like, okay, so were you faking it the whole time? Mm-hmm. Or did you just make that conscious decision that that was who you were, and now you're not that? I mean, did, does that make sense? Like, do you mm-hmm. wrestle with that kind of stuff, too? Just like, yeah, yeah. Was, what was that about, then, if you don't believe this, and you never did? Like, what is that about? Or did you believe this, and now you don't? I mean... Yeah. Well, I can remember, you know, having a conversation with someone about a major tenant of their faith, and they they dogmatically were like oh i'm i'm not it, it could have been like the rapture or something like that they're like I, i'm not i'm never giving up on that i'm, I'm going to hold on to that no matter what and <laughs> here we are like 5 or 6 years later and they're like they're like not even remotely in the faith in, anymore and it's like okay yeah. so what what happened there you know or like right, right, you right, watch right. people who maybe were like giving a message in tongues or something like that. And you're like, you know, as a child, I grew up in a, in a, in a Pentecostal assembly God church mm-hmm. and you see people get, but it's like, okay, so was that just, were you just faking that? Was the Holy spirit really right. moving through you and causing you to do that? Like, yeah, it begins, okay, you like start to think and you go through all your interactions with these people and you think of what, what was real, what was not real, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe even you're listening to this and, and you, at one point professed to be a follower of Jesus and now you're not. And, um, you know, I hope that as we talk through some of these reasons why some, some people may choose to walk away from this, I hope that, you know, we don't come across as dismissive or patronizing. I hope we're not painting really broad brushstrokes. I hope we're doing our best to kind of, uh, give voice to some of the reasons that people cite for that. And, you know, if that's you, you fall in that demographic and, and man, you want to, you know, weigh in on this or talk any more about it, man, we'd love to hear from you. I, I don't want to 
I think the thing I don't want to do is we talk about some of these reasons. I don't want to create a one-size-fits-all caricature mm-hmm. because I think growing up in church, one of the things that I thought was not helpful was sometimes preachers would get up there and start talking about backsliders, mm. <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, some people just don't have faith, and that's why they walk away, or mm-hmm. they just can't do it. They just, they're weak, and it's just like, I feel like that's a very unfair characterization of the many nuanced reasons why someone may walk away from the Christian faith. Like, and I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think, I don't think you're doing anybody any favors to oversimplify it. When I think that's kind of a cop out uh, to, to basically say, Hey, we need to in effect shun these people mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because they turn their back on their faith. And as opposed to the pastor being like, Hey, apparently I'm failing and doing a good job of teaching you guys how to defend your faith and how to reconcile some of the, some of the things within your faith. Um, apparently I'm doing a bad job of teaching you, about the inerrancy of God's word. Yeah. About was did did was God guilty of genocide in the Old Testament? Apparently, I'm doing a bad job of really working through some of the stuff and teaching you guys this stuff, and I yeah. failed you in that. But instead, I think I think what the the default like knee jerk reaction sometimes of leaders is like, get them out of here. Don't ever talk to them. You know, like let's just shun them until right. they repent and come back, and then we can. And I think that that's that fuels this cycle of like of isolation and it's almost like this like cult kind of situation mm-hmm. then you know what i'm saying like yeah. you you need to you need that healthy and i always say the truth will defend itself it doesn't need you to defend it 100% and if someone is truly and honestly searching for that it will present itself and they will find it yeah but yeah it's we we get we get really scared as leaders and we're like oh don't 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 talk to them stay away from them, stay away from them. Mm-hmm. isolate them you know and and make them really regret that decision well, and it's funny if you read the book of First Corinthians, where a lot of people take that from. You know, we got to deliver them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Mm-hmm. Okay, go back and reread it, because what it seems what Paul is saying is not don't have anything to do with them if they walk away from the faith, but rather don't have anything to do with them if they claim to still be a Christian but they're mm-hmm. walking in open sin. Yep. So that's when you practice heavy-handed church discipline. If somebody's like, "Well, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm sleeping with my secretary," you're like. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to have anything. I'm, I'm not going to fellowship with you because you're in open, unrepentant sin. And if mm. you repent of that sin, then man, you are welcome to for us to have this thing of Christian fellowship. But as so long as you're claiming the name Jesus, but you're misrepresenting him through your open, unrepentant sin, then that's when that's when we practice that church discipline. But when it's someone that says, "Man, I just I don't know if I believe this anymore," we we then treat them like we would any unbeliever. And that is we love them and and form relationships with them and share the gospel with them, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, well, let's look at some of these reasons. And again, this is not an exhaustive list. This is more anecdotal. So if you're listening to this and you can think of any other reasons why someone might walk away, we'd love to hear from you. But um, kind of number one and the one I feel like I've seen a lot and heard a lot of is the number one reason that most people walk away is disillusionment with the church and hurt that's caused by other Christians. Mm-hmm. So this would be church hurt. You know, they, they came into the faith and they were a part of a church that um, became like their family, became their life. They had leaders, they had brothers, they had sisters in this church, they had relationships, their life was this church, and somewhere along the way they got let down and disappointed. Mm-hmm. And so from that letdown and disappointment, 
it created in them anger and hurt mm. at hypocrisy at like what could be perceived as exclusiveness like this is our, our little click over here at maybe some corruption that they saw mm-hmm. uh, for those who claim to be followers of Jesus maybe even like take it a step further maybe like abusive teachings or manipulative teachings or destructive teachings mm. um, you know extra biblical teachings or things they saw and man it just created in them like this sour taste where they just said like we you know started talking on about you know okay so this is very cult like what I'm experiencing I don't think I want to be a part of this so mm. I don't think I want to identify myself with other people that claim to be a part of this so I'm not going mm. to identify as Christian and this is if you watch John Steingard's like you know explanation this is one of the first he, he, he says, when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old, I forget how old he was, but, you know, very impressionable adolescent, his hero in the faith was the worship leader at his church growing up. And mm. he grew up a pastor's kid and at a, at a vineyard type church. And he said, I, all of a sudden, my hero and my role model, my mentor was just gone and nobody told me why. And he's like, I, it came out later someone's like, oh yeah, you didn't realize that he ran off with the keyboardist and had an affair with the keyboardist? And he's like, mm-hmm. no, I didn't know any of that. And he was just crushed by it. And he talks about how that was the beginning for him of planting a seed of like disillusionment with the church. Yeah. Whereas what should have happened was the pastor not trying to save face should have just been up there, gotten up and said, guys, a tragic thing has happened. We want to, we want to, we want to condemn this, but we also want to lift them up in prayer and pray for repentance and restoration back into our congregation. It's so tragic. It's been so sad. And it, and admit admit that there is uh, hypocrisy within the church. There there was a hypocrisy within the church and condemn it, but also open the door for restoration and repentance. Yeah. But it was kind of just swept up under the rug, and that's what really bothered him was the fact that he knew nothing about it. Yeah, and... Unfortunately, stories like that are so common, mm-hmm. and people get really, really, really disillusioned because I think without meaning to, they put their faith in an institution, or mm-hmm. put they they put their faith in a person. Yeah, and the institution or the organization lets them down. That person lets them down, or not even like for some people, it's not even a leader within the church. It's just other church people or other Christians, mm-hmm. they they feel hurt by and they feel, and it's amazing how it, it can be something as horrible and devastating as like sexual abuse within the church, which is so, 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 so sad and terrible. And then it can be something as minor as, I just feel like these people are clicky. Not to, not to say that's minor, I don't want to be dismissive of that, but, mm-hmm. you know, any any flavor or form or shade of disillusionment with the organization or institution of church can plant in someone a you know just seed of doubt and that seed of doubt can grow to say well maybe this isn't real because this doesn't feel mm-hmm. representative of who you you guys are claiming this doesn't look like the Jesus that you guys are claiming to represent yeah yeah so, it's, a, it's an unmet expectation yeah 
So and I see that one I think more than more than anything. I think that's where it always begins from the stories that I've talked to and I've uh, read. Hmm. And then the second one I think that I see that's probably the most common, um, especially for people in our generation, Gabe, um, are intellectual obstacles that create doubt and disbelief. So things like um, science and the Bible, you know, this thought of I'm, I'm starting to see certain things about what I've been taught and then I'm reading in the science books something opposite. So which one is correct? Is Does the Bible contradict science? I mean, are we just completely dismissing, um, you know, scientific observation because we say that we hold on to this ancient text, the Bible? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> of course, when we went back and we, you know, our episodes where we talked about Darwin and evolution and all that stuff, we, we kind of hammered some of that stuff out. I would say it, it does not contradict the Bible, science, the Bible does not contradict science either. But I think for some people, they, they get hung up on that. Mm-hmm. Because p- perhaps they were given a very narrow interpretation of the Bible that did contradict science. And, and they were told there's no room for discussion, there's no room for debate, there's no room for research, just have faith and just believe the Bible, just ignore what mm-hmm. <laughs> the science is saying, right? Um, and so that creates these like huge, huge, huge doubts where people go, well, I don't know about that. Like, I feel like I'm being told to not think. And uh, that's hard for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, for others, it's the validity of the Bible. Like, can you trust the Bible? The Bible says this, and it says this happened, and it says that there was a man named Jesus who was fully God and fully man. Well, did Jesus even exist? I mean, was were the accounts of his miracles and his resurrection, were those exaggerated? Uh, even the, the whole idea of the existence of miracles, you know, reading in the Old Testament about literally the sea parting down the middle so a whole group of Jews could walk through it, or, you know, a, a, a great fish swallowing a man named Jonah, or even Jesus of Nazareth rising from the dead. Some people, they're like, you're asking me to suspend my disbelief for a minute and believe that. I can't do that. And then like our, our friend John Steingard, the problem of evil. Where did evil come from? Did God create Satan? How can a loving God send anybody to hell? These things can create in people these huge uh, spaces for cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm where they have to play a part of something. You know, I'm a Christian, but at the same time go, I don't really know if I buy all this hook, line, and sinker. And so it creates this uh, huge space of doubt and this huge space of um, almost feeling hypocritical for wearing the name Christian. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's people who fall into the first category we mentioned that, that have experienced hypocrisy or anger or hurt or abuse and then they cloak that in intellectual reasons mm-hmm. so they they're hurt and then they're like okay let me let me let me come out of the church or let me leave the faith but let me express that leaving and cloak it in i have intellectual problems so many times right. the people i converse with that claim to have intellectual problems science problems or 
you know, hyster- historicity problems, they really have hurt problems. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're kind of, like I said, putting up a front that it's, that it's for intellectual reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty logical progression though, to say, man, I'm seeing some things that really bother me. Why am I seeing these things that bother me? Why are these people behaving that way? Well, is any of this true? Mm-hmm. Is that why they're behaving that way? Because they're believing a lie. So let's start mm-hmm. deconstructing and asking what which of this is not true. And so I think that leads them to the intellectual obstacles. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes, not all the time, yeah. but sometimes I think that's kind of how it happens. Or then other times it could just be that they're really hurt, so they're looking for a reason to justify that hurt. Mm-hmm. So they go looking and saying, well, I guess this must not be true. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of flavors of that, I think, a lot of shades of that. Oh, yeah. Um, the third reason people walk away from the faith is for false teaching or, uh, they settle for a false version of Jesus or a false gospel. And, uh, or perhaps they were given a false version of Jesus and a false gospel. So then they walk away from that. So I, I think this has become really in vogue in our generation, Gabe. Um, are you familiar with the band Gungor? You remember those guys? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so they, uh, for a while, Michael Gungor, the, the lead singer for that that band, said that he was an agnostic and an atheist. And then recently he's come out to say, no, I am a Christian, but my understanding of Christianity is this idea of the universal or cosmic Christ. So, according to like historic Orthodox teaching of the Christian faith, he is decidedly not a Christian, mm-hmm. but he has said now, I have a new understanding of the faith, and it's essentially he has left historic Orthodox Christianity and he has settled for a version of it that any church father anywhere through all of history, besides the one who were guilty of heresy, uh, would say, man, that's not Christianity. That's that's something different. Mm-hmm. And it and it and it becomes for a lot of people is that the exclusive claims of Jesus, where Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me." That's too difficult to swallow. Because they're like, man, what about my Muslim friend, or what about my Hindu friend, or what about my Buddhist friend? What about my, you know, and so it's like, man, can we really say that Jesus is the only way to the Father? And so now this newer and more palatable Jesus is embraced. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so they're walking away from the faith, and they're walking to a new religion, basically, but they're still calling it Christianity, but it's not really Christianity. It's a it's a different Jesus. It's a, it's a false gospel. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this? I haven't seen that as much. Usually when I see someone stepping away from their faith, it's um, it's usually to a place of like staunch agnosticism or atheism. Yeah. But yeah, it's, de- it's, it's definitely out there, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I think I see more people going more the agnostic atheist route, but I have seen people embracing this route. And a lot of times I think what I'll hear them say are things like... Um, I am spiritual, but not religious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I believe in Jesus, but I'm done with religion. Or I believe in Jesus, but I'm not really a Christian. That kind of thing. Mm. And it and it's this. It's the the universal Christ. It's the cosmic Christ. Um, 
My wife has a family member, sweet, sweet girl, love her to death. Her and I have had some really good conversations, but she believes in a kind of Jesus, um, like a almost like a Gospel of Thomas Jesus. Like she believes Jesus is an enlightened Buddha, mm. Mm. and and she's like, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, just like I believe in Vishnu and Muhammad and mm. all these other gods. You know, Jesus was was God and you're God and I'm God and we're all God. And it's like, mm, Yikes. I, I don't think you and I are on the same page. <laughs> but she would say, well, I'm spiritual. I'm just not religious or I'm a Christian, but I'm kind of my own understanding of what that means, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think some people land there and that's why they, that's why they get there, you know, because the exclusive claims of Jesus are hard to embrace. So they kind of go find this new version of it. Um, I think some people mm. walk away from the faith because the gospel they were presented was a false gospel. Mm. So maybe they were presented a form of Christianity that said, if you believe in Jesus, you are going to have health and wealth and prosperity, and life is going to be really, really good. Life's going to be really easy. You're never going to struggle. And then over time, that's proven to be false. Yeah. So they mm. end up just going, man, that's a bunch of bull. <laughs> And they walk away, you know, and I would agree that is a bunch of bull because that's mm-hmm. not Christianity, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I think the whole idea of deconstruction is uh, what leads people like this, this false teaching of deconstruction. And I'll be careful. I say that I don't think deconstruction in of itself is a false teaching. I think some deconstruction is necessary for anything and, and deconstruction in, in case you're wondering what that means it is to disassemble beliefs and ideas uh while being aware that their meanings could be inherently subjective so so like if if uh you and i were talking and you said man i believe 100 percent, i will go to my grave believing in a pre-tribulation rapture and that is Mm -hmm. the only way to look at it Mm-hmm. And you and I started talking, and I was like, hey, man, like, where do you see that in the Scripture? And you're like, well, there are one or two verses. And I'm like, well, okay. Well, let's look at these one or two verses again. I mean, I, I think I might, may see it a little bit different. And, and let's talk about, like, how, how did you grow up? Like, what, what were you told in your church about these verses? Like, where do you uh, – what background kind of led you to maybe assume that this is what that means? And so we had that healthy dialogue to kind of get to the place of, okay, what is God's truth for all people in all places and all times? And what is a subjective interpretation of that truth that maybe you were taught? Mm. So I think that's healthy deconstruction. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. That's ironing, iron sharpening iron kind of stuff there. That's, that's yeah. good and biblical for us to do. Right. But where it becomes, I think, a false <laughs> teaching is where the assumption happens that all major points of Christian theology were created to marginalize, to oppress, to control, Mm -hmm. to manipulate, to subjugate. And so therefore, every major point of Christian theology is under the microscope, and you assume Mm -hmm. that all of it is inherently subjective, and at some point someone created it so they could marginalize, oppress, control, manipulate, or subjugate. Yeah, and I think if I could use... An analogy, I was driving six months ago down the road and my car started sputtering and losing power. So I pulled over in a parking lot and realized that one of my spark plugs had fouled out. 
and I was running off of five of six spark plugs that I needed to drive. Now, I could take and be like, oh, this spark plug is no longer viable part of my car. Therefore, this car is completely non-viable. It is mm. a, I, I can, can, can discredit my vehicle with one spark plug. Or yeah. what deconstruction does sometimes is says, okay, let me take this spark plug out and let me take every component of my vehicle apart and lay it all out on my driveway and examine everything and be like, okay, where's the flaws here? And then I could be like, okay, now I have to be able to put all this back together. And deconstruction is like, I can't put this back together. Therefore it's false. Right. And that's a really faulty logic system because there are some extremely deep theological and biblically complex situations going on that require and demand a lot of historical context that if we don't have, we can't put that vehicle, so to speak, back together effectively mm -hmm. and allow us to have a viable faith again. Yeah. So you got to be very careful. And there's in, in the, the, another big problem with that is there's a lot of dangers on the internet of people putting out just bad information on the internet about mm -hmm. different things. And, and you can, you can find and using the, the help of algorithms, you can <laughs> find that bad information relatively easily and it helps speed your process of deconstruction when you're actually just getting bad information that is, um, you know, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying oh, like, absolutely. And and I think that like the the one of the ironies of deconstruction often is we're taking this stance that everything we've been taught is inherently subjective. So we must then deconstruct it and pull it all apart. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that process is done without the awareness that we have our own biases that are inherently subjective. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, like I'm pulling all this apart but deep down, what I want is a form of Christianity or a worldview that agrees with what I want to be true. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, so mm -hmm. so like what we're doing essentially is we are assuming that the final court of judgment in all things is our own enlightened mind, that I am the one that decides what is true. I am the one that decides how the universe should work. I am the one who decides what's true about God and what's not true about God. And mm -hmm. so it is essentially doing the very thing that it claims to be against, and that is taking an inherently subjective stance and making that the final standard of authority. I don't know if mm -hmm. that makes sense or not, because we're talking about some really kind of yeah. weighty... Uh, well, Meta metacognition, but I mean, I, I think that's essentially <laughs> what you're doing. You're, you're basically saying I'm the one that decides and I can't be wrong because my yeah. mind is the final, has the final say in it, you know, and I, I think that's a very dangerous place to be. Well, here's, here's another example, you know, watching John Steingart explain his, his position on this. He, he said, well, you know, growing up, I was taught that all good in the world stems from God. And that if someone is good, it's because they have God living in them. And everyone is inherently evil. And he said, I was taught to kind of subconsciously look at unbelievers as being people who are yet to be good. And, and I think that that's, that's unfortunate. So right there, he's set up with a, with a, a false pretense. Mm. Because Paul says in Romans 2, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature what the law requires they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. So they show that the work of the law is written 
on their hearts, their consciousness also bearing witness and their thoughts either accusing or defending them. So in other words, there are people who are complete heathens who can do the works of the law because it's like Paul says, it's written on their hearts, their yeah. consciousness bearing witness to them. So John Steingart goes on to say, you know, when I would come across, like he had a couple gay friends that his wife worked with. He's like, man, they were some of the most loving, caring, patient people, even more so than people that I was rubbing shoulders with within the church. And he's like, so that kind of, he's like, that kind of began to challenge that notion that all good comes from God. So right there, he, mm. so he has like this false pretense that's set up growing up. And then he meets people who challenge that and, and, you know, contradict that. And yeah. so then he goes, he kind of throws the baby out with the bathwater instead of someone saying, okay, well, let's, let's pause there and look at Romans two. Right. Can right. godless people be good? And the answer to that is yes, they can. Yeah. They're made in the image and likeness of God. They have God's law written on their hearts. So they have a, we are moral beings. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a very good point. I mean, some people take what they've been taught and point that when that's misproven as well the whole thing has to then go you have to throw mm -hmm. the whole thing out like you said and i don't yeah. think that's true you know yeah yeah so um the next reason i i think and and you see this a lot the next reason people choose to walk away from the faith is pain hurt tragedy or disappointment with god so some tragic thing happens some horrible life event happens you know, you lose a child, um, you lose a parent. Um, and so the question then happens in people's mind, if God is a God of love, why would he allow that to happen? Mm. And if God is so powerful, why can't he just, why can't he just fix this? Or why can't he just do this? You know, mm. you know, why did my dad have to die of cancer? Or why did my, um, why did my, my three-year-old son die you know things like mm -hmm. that and that creates in people these massive wounds that often get directed towards god and then it becomes like i don't want anything to do with a god that hurts people like that mm. and if you say god is a god of love why would a god of love send people to hell to roast for all eternity mm. what about my gay friend that I work with every day and then they're like so kind and so loving and so gracious. You know, I have a Muslim neighbor or landlord and he's the same way. I have a Hindu friend and they're so kind and gracious and loving. And so you're saying that there's a God that just says, Nope, sorry, you picked the wrong thing on your, you know, multiple choice survey of who's your savior and you're going to go to hell. Mm -hmm. Why would I want anything to do with a God like that? Like he seems like a monster. Mm. And, uh, I mean, those are real. Those are real obstacles, right? I mean, those yeah. Are, yeah, <laughs> when yeah, when absolutely. that's uh, when someone has that emotional trauma, or that you know tragedy that happens in their lives, that that does create this real sense of disillusionment and disappointment and reticence to want to worship and love a, a God that um, they just feel hurt by. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I struggle with that in the past. Um, you know, watching my dad slowly mm. die of, of ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, um, you know, which has, has been about four or five years now. Um, I, I did struggle with that. And I thought, man, 
you know, I, I fasted and prayed, you know, the longest I ever fasted before going without food and prayed for his healing. And at the end of it, I was like, man, what was the point of that? You know, and God, if you're, if you're not going to heal him, can you take him quickly? Can you just get this over with? You know? And I remember driving to work every morning, praying and, and crying and weeping and saying, when is this going to be over? It's like, he's living in hell, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you would see people who are living just awful lifestyles, you know, just doing meth and, and, and committing these heinous crimes. And they, they go on living and you're like, there's nothing fair about this, that my dad, this man of God and great father, one of my best friends is, is losing his life. Yet this person gets to go on living. And you know, it's like you have to, and I don't know if someone is maybe going through this and maybe this helps you and encourages you, but you just have to express that anger to God. Mm-hmm. You just have to let him know that you're angry. And oddly enough, that's what brings peace. That's what brought peace for me was just, I had to wrestle with God over that. And I had to, I had to open up. And I think he wants us to do that. He would rather we do that than to close ourselves off and never express that anger and disillusionment. Isn't that what the book of Job really is? I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, he, yeah. he's asking like, God, would you just, just be here would you just give me an audience? And mm. we've got the entire book of Job where he's just wrestling with this question of evil. Like, why does why does evil happen? Is there any justice in the world? Is there a God that sees? Is there a God that knows? Mm. You know, and in the end, Job gets what he's asking for. God shows up in a whirlwind, and God is there. God is, mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think that sometimes, you're right, it is a, there are some questions this side of eternity we may not have the answers to. Mm-hmm. But just saying, because there are big questions in the world I don't have the answers to, therefore, there is no God, there is no higher power, everything is meaningless. Some people are going to get lucky, some people are going to get unlucky, and it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. I think deep down we all know that's not really the answer. Mm-hmm. It's just how we cope, yeah. Yeah, and that's a tough one. I don't, and and again, that's a that's one that like that one just really hurts my heart when I see somebody that's in a place like that. And I think those are those are the ones where there's no quick fixes for that, man. You just gotta mm. love somebody through that and walk with somebody through that and listen more than you talk through that mm-hmm. and just just love them like crazy because man, mm. somebody's in that place of that deep a hurt, man. It's a there's no quick fixes for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. But on the other side of that, um, it's already given me opportunity to speak from a place of experience when others I see around me are going through similar crisis. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's why that all that happened to my dad. And But I am saying that now that I am on the other side of that, I can better speak to pain, hurt, and tragedy and disappointment with God because I was extremely disappointed with God. I was yeah. angry with God. And I can I can use that now as a tool to comfort other people and encourage them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the next reason I think that I've seen people walk away from Christianity would just be distractions from the world. Mm. So people just get too busy. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, man, I, I see this in the South all the stinking time. 
And the, the tragic thing about doing church in the South and living out your faith in the South is you can have just enough Christian culture around you to think you are living the Christian life when you are not being a disciple of Jesus at all. Mm-hmm. So you can have just enough of the Christian subculture with Christian radio every now and again and Chick-fil-A and people in your workplace that <laughs> you, you have Christian bumper stickers and you think, even though you are not living out the Christian life, you're not reading your Bible, you're not really praying, you're not really being a witness to Jesus in, in anywhere you go, you haven't been in church in years, you, you're just like, well, I'm, I mean, I'm still, I'm still doing this, I'm still living, but the reality is, no, you've actually walked away, but you're telling yourself you haven't walked away, yeah. and the reason you've walked away is you're just too busy. Um, and, and I think I see this all the time, so I don't know if that counts as someone saying I don't believe anymore, but it technically is you walking away from your faith because you're just too busy. Mm-hmm. You're just too in love with the world to actually live this thing out and to be, you know, a disciple. Mm-hmm. Um, something else I see is people walk away because they're too in love with what others think and they're too concerned with fitting in. So they don't want to be perceived as judgmental, as bigoted, as backwards, or superstitious. Um, Gabe, you and I both played music together, and so we spent a lot of time in artist communities, and there's a lot of people that start off in that music scene mm-hmm. as followers of Jesus, and then they get around other people who think Jesus people are judgmental, bigoted, backwards, and superstitious, and then all of a sudden, those people that started off as followers of Jesus say, well, I'm not sure if I am, and and at the root of that is really just, I want to fit in. Mm. And so, because they want to be like the people around them and they don't want to be perceived as bigoted or backwards or superstitious. They just kind of begin to, to slowly say, I don't know if I believe this stuff anymore. Yeah. And that that's, I mean, at the heart of it, that's cowardice. It's a yeah. lack of, that's a lack of principle. Um, because if it takes, if that's all it takes for someone to sway you in your supposed convictions and principles, then that's not, that's not real principle. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, um, in some ways, it's it's the crime that many politicians in our world are, are fall victim to. Is sure. like I I say this just to get reelected, but really, when it comes down to it, I don't have those principles. Mm-hmm. I'm not really willing to to die on that hill. Yeah, it's just something I was saying to get elected, or something I was saying to to have the appearance that I have a principle. And it's it's tough. It's at the root of it. It's just cowardice. It's fear. Um, well, and and one of the things I think I've noticed is like. If you grew up in a church subculture that when you did and said Christian things, you got accepted and loved and you were then in group, and then you go off to college or you start working a job where to be in the in group, you have to say and do different things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Really what you're addicted to is not obedience to Jesus. You're addicted to saying whatever it is that's going to get you accepted in that in group. Mm Mm-hmm. So if getting you accepted in that in-group means that you're like, oh, yeah, well, I don't I don't fall into any of that. I think that stuff is crazy. Then you're going to say and do what it is that gets you in that in-group and gets you accepted. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I think that's really, really, really dangerous sometimes with, like, uh, youth group subcultures to make it less about the gospel and make it less about following Jesus and more about, hey, let's look at the subculture and how do we, you know, form kind of this – unique subculture where you can gain acceptance and, uh, mm-hmm. you, you know what I mean? I yeah, don't it's almost, it's almost that, like, 
yeah it's almost like we create um in, in, in like youth ministries create this um little pocket of it's it's like a christian version of the world mm-hmm. where you have you have the music you have the excitement you have the edginess that the mm-hmm. world has to offer except it's just it's um it doesn't it doesn't supposedly lead to the same places yeah um yeah. but yeah it's it's, it's an funny. addiction to being cool but to be cool is hey being a jesus guy She's like, yeah. well, I want to be cool, so I'm a Jesus guy. And then you go somewhere else, and they're like, hey, you know what being cool is? Not being a Jesus guy. And they're like, well, I want to be cool, <laughs> so I'm not a Jesus guy. So it's the same. Yeah, You're yeah. holding up being cool is the most important thing for these kids, and so they're going to do whatever it takes to be cool. But you're saying, okay, you know what's cool? Loving Jesus and listening to DC Talk, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, we had, um, growing up, we had like a Tooth and Nail Records, right? And there was yeah. like... It was like yeah, the hardcore and punk rock and ska mm-hmm. like stuff that it was like the the Christian alternative or at least the the clean alternative to what the world had to offer with that same music style. <laughs> so yes. it was funny. So like when by the time I like moved to a new town, uh, I was listening to like a lot of tooth and nail stuff and and kind of took on the the appearance of that culture. Mm-hmm. But I was just a young like 14, 15 year old kid. And I, I dressed to that culture. I behaved that culture. I listened to that kind of that, but all, all of that and all, all of the, the tooth and nail spectrum stuff. I didn't listen to any of the secular stuff. So as soon as I get to like a high school and I'm like 14, 15 year old, I'm like a freshman. And there's actually like, you know, a subculture of skateboarders and punk rockers and stuff there, you know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, and there's actually like hardcore bands and stuff. And you're like, okay, uh, I want to fit in with them. Yep. But I I still like I'm part, you know, I, I'm supposed to be kind of separate from that and not not really involve myself in what they're doing. So it was almost it was like this weird kind of blending of the two and eventually over time I found myself just kind of fully assimilated into that culture yeah. and not influencing that culture that was there in person in real life. It was yeah. influencing me and uh yeah, that that it's interesting. I, I haven't really sorted that out completely. If, if that's if the the Christian alternative kind of stuff is really beneficial, yeah, or not, I don't know. I, I don't know. The I th- I think, and this is probably so. Maybe we could flesh it out more. I'd love to get somebody. I have several friends that that were in the Christian music scene. I'd love to just do an episode on that and just just mm-hmm. talk to them about this. But I think what it is, and maybe this is this is just a hunch, is when we hold up this value of being cool. And being like, yeah, really just being cool, right? We hold that value up as almost a magnet <laughs> to get kids in. Mm-hmm. And then kids start doing the Christian things because that's cool or alternative Christian things because that's cool. That almost always attracts them to the wrong thing. So then when that's no longer cool, mm. they're going to still be addicted to being cool and then being cool means doing something different you know yeah it's almost like we need to instead teach our youth how to be okay with suffering and how mm-hmm. to be okay with rejection yep more so than hey we have this alternative kind of version yeah. of the culture that you're looking to fit in with it's like we need to just tell them hey you're it's not gonna, gonna be really ready yeah it's it's really yeah. gonna suck to be a person of principle and faith just get yep. ready for that yep you know? yep not everybody's gonna like you yeah. And and just because people don't like you that doesn't mean 
that necessarily it, it's because you're a bigot and you're judgmental and you're a jerk. Mm-hmm. It may mean that, but mm-hmm. it doesn't always mean that. Maybe they don't like you because they don't like what you represent. Yeah. You know? Um, next reason why some Christians walk away is they get isolated and slowly over time they drift away from their faith. So that isolation sometimes happens because they got hurt by another believer or they got neglected by another believer or maybe they themselves neglected to be around other believers. So I've seen this happen. Somebody moves to a new town mm-hmm. and um, and they were like super plugged in church, had a great Christian community, and then they moved to a new town and they're like, man, I just can't find a church like my old church. And so they don't go to a church. And so over time, the question starts getting asked, do I, do I really believe this anymore? Because mm. if this was really so important to me before, why is it that I can live without it now? Mm. And so they just it's kind of this slow drift where it just stops being something that they do, and it happens out of isolation. And I think that's why Christian community is so important. Um, and really the last, and, and I, I want to be careful how I say this, but I do see this happening a lot is that many people walk away from the Christian faith because of a desire to live a life that goes against Christianity and a Mm. desire to live a life that goes against the clear teachings of the Bible. Mm. My experience as a pastor has been 90% of the time, this is about a sexual or romantic relationship. Mm. So I want to pursue this sexual relationship I want to pursue this sexual lifestyle, and Christianity says this is wrong. Mm-hmm. But I say this is what I want, and so I have had someone look at me across the table and say, "If me being happy means I burn in hell for all eternity, I'm going to choose to be happy." Hmm. What's interesting about this is it's like this is one of the only categories we discuss that is actually honest and respectable. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you're. You're actually like, okay, yeah, wow, you're being, you're being completely honest, mm-hmm. and I can I can halfway respect that. I think you're completely wrong, and I think you're gonna really really regret this. Yep. But wow, that's your, at least you your being... forthright. Yeah, you're not masking yeah. it behind you know something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen this, like I said, ninety percent of the time this is about a sexual or romantic relationship. Um, I have had a conversation with someone who it, it was really about marijuana. <laughs> hmm. They wanted to smoke weed. And they love smoking weed, and they didn't want to stop smoking weed. And th- we got into a long, 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 long discussion about biblically, is it okay to smoke weed and get high? And um, they had some strange verses to justify it. Like, you know, it says there's <laughs> plants in the Garden of Eden. I'm like, well, that doesn't mean they smoked them, right? Um, and then finally, after a while of us going back and forth, they finally just said, you know what? I, You're right. Like, there's nothing in the Bible that says what I'm doing is right but I would rather do this than be a Christian. Mm. And if I can't be a Christian and smoke pot, I'm going to choose to smoke pot because yeah. I'm, I'm that in love with this, this thing. Um, so sometimes people do this to pursue a life that's chasing after money, power, fame, or success in certain career fields mm. that are antagonistic to Christian values. Um, my brother used to go to church uh, in... Los Angeles, and there were a lot of people that worked in Hollywood, and there was a lot of people that were in church, but then when they got opportunities to work in the entertainment industry, they realized that, 
you can't do both. You got to pick which one you're going to do. Yeah. Either you're going to be somebody that works in Hollywood in the entertainment business, or you're going to be a follower of Jesus. And for them, it was a clear choice. I'm going to work in show business, and that's what I want to do. Hmm. So, um, again, that's not a complete exhaustive list. There's probably a lot of other reasons we didn't touch on, but I mean, of all the reasons that we looked at, do you feel like uh, there's one that stands out as the most common? Man, I don't know. Uh, I think I, I think I get a smattering of all those sometimes. Yeah, that's that's tough to say. Mm-hmm. No, I don't. I don't think there's any particular one that stands out to be the most common. But that may be different for you, though. Yeah, I I think I think. I think just in the the season that I'm in, because um, I've been in full time ministry for the past um, eleven years. Well, part time ministry is verse three of those eleven, and then full time the last eight years. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of part of the journey that I've been on in full time ministry has been with um, our Murfreesboro campus, which is by most definitions a mega church. And so um, I think there are some people who fell more in love with the organization and the idea of megachurch than mm-hmm. they did Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so at some point along the way, they got hurt. And so instead of being able to um, kind of objectively look at maybe their own biases and maybe look at their own things they put their faith in and objectively try to decipher what is Jesus and what is people— They've just gone, I'm done with all of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that, to me, is the one that feels the most familiar. Mm-hmm. Church hurt. People get hurt by church, and so they're just like, I'm done. And a lot of them, it's not even that I'm done with Jesus. A lot of them, it's just like, I am I like Jesus, I love Jesus, but I'm just kind of done praying to him and talking to him and worshiping him for a bit. Yeah, yeah. So I'll or... do that when I feel like it. So they, are, they have walked away from Christianity because they're not actively engaged in their faith, but they're not necessarily non-believers. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's probably one of the most understandable ones that I can encounter. One of the ones where I'm like, yeah, that, I can see where you were dealt a very unfair hand. Mm-hmm. Um, there was someone, especially when I think when it comes to like sexual abuse within the church, I could see yeah. where someone who was abused by a church leader could be like, yeah, I want nothing to do with this. And I, mm-hmm. for that, I would have to just be like, wow, if I was in your shoes, I don't know that I could do any different. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't want to do that but i i mean gosh i can't even imagine being in those shoes mm-hmm. and um and that that's kind of what we're called to do isn't it is like try to feel the suffering of other people and suffer with them or for them mm-hmm. so that we can bring them closer to god yeah. um yeah that's really, that's really tough you know one of the things that really rocked my boat this year i don't know if it was this year or last year but it really, really challenged me. And one of the heroes I would say of my faith was Ravi Zacharias. And that, that really hit me hard. And I got to the point where I was like, Oh man, why? Like I I really held him in high esteem, Mm -hmm. but eventually I got to the point where I was like, I need to stop doing that. Just like, just like with these guys, like this Hawk Nelson lead singer, it's like, Mm -hmm. we, can we, can we all agree as the body of Christ that we stop, putting 
musicians on a theological pedestal. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm saying? Can we just yeah. stop doing that for a little bit? Yeah. Like they're great musicians, very talented. Just because you stand on a platform doesn't mean that you're an expert in all things theology and all things discipleship. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you sing songs. I mean, that's awesome. Good for you. You have influence. God's given you that platform. Praise God for that. But like, yeah, yes. Like why do we hold that up as like, this person is the spiritual authority on all things related to Jesus. And I, and I say that, but then, you know, like I say that, but there's another side of that coin is that, that Ravi Zacharias was someone that you should look to and be like, okay, this is yeah. a great defender of our faith. But then I think the the bottom line is we all just need to recognize that we are all fallen, sinful humans. Amen. And any man or woman on which you hang your faith is is tempted every day mm-hmm. and struggles to overcome that temptation. Yeah. I do, you do. And it, and don't God forbid you hang your faith on the faith of Gabe Rutledge. Mm-hmm. Um and that's that's the lesson I kind of took away from all of that. And yeah. I hope that some of our listeners maybe you do that you, you're doing that right now and you're reanalyzing who am I hanging my faith on. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And and I think it's so hard in our culture um you know the 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 Greeks and the Romans had a pantheon of gods and goddesses and demigods and heroes, and um, in America we have celebrities. Mm-hmm. So in America, our version of that we don't have Achilles and Hercules. Our version of that is we've got Kanye West and Chris Pratt, right? <laughs> and and essentially, when we go on Instagram or we go on, we turn on the TV, what we're seeing is we're seeing their their exploits and their feats and it's like Mm -hmm. us reading the the odyssey or us reading the iliad and going wow look at how cool they are look at how awesome they are and and they Mm -hmm. have our worship so the problem is that pagan culture gets imported in the church Mm -hmm. so then you're like man stephen furtick look i'm on his Mm -hmm. instagram look at what he did right and and man look (laughs) at what levi lesko is doing and all and so we're we're doing what our culture is doing and the problem is those people are not worthy of your worship. Mm. Jesus is. But they do have nice shoes, though. They do have nice watches <laughs> and shoes, and they dress very strangely sometimes. But I, I, I think that's what, that's why we see so many people get hurt by church is because we mm. import a pagan culture that worships human beings and puts them on the same mm. level as, as demigods and then when we see them fall, and when we see them be human, we go, oh my gosh, so you mean all this is fake? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, some of it's fake. The the part of it that you thought that those people were infallible and couldn't hurt you, that part's fake. Mm-hmm. But the part about there being a God in heaven that is perfect and just and sovereign, that's not fake. That's real. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I, I would just say like to anybody, then just be careful. Be really careful. Don't mm. put anybody up on that pedestal, man. You're you're setting yourself up for disillusionment and hurt so long as you do that. Are you you mean to tell me that Justin Bieber and Kanye <laughs> <laughs> are gonna let me down? I don't you know. About, me that... I don't know about Kanye. Kanye's never gonna let you down. Oh gosh. One thing I know, one thing I know, I know I'll never let you down. Get up, I said. Get up, I said. You know that song. Mm. First I grabbed the streets, then I snatched their hearts. Is that his newest album that he no, dropped? No, no, that's that's from College Dropout. Uh, true oh, okay. story. Judge me if you want. I wow. probably know every rhyme from the College Dropout album, circa 2005. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, check your heart. 
That was a great album. That was a great album. That was before Kanye ran for president. But that song's called Never Let You Down, so he's never going to let us down. So anyway. Mm. Hey, in closing up, Jesus shared a parable. And in that parable, there was a sower that went out and threw seed. And that seed fell on different kinds of soil. And the first kind of soil that the seed fell was a heart that is hardened. And Jesus said that it's a heart that hears the message of the kingdom but refuses to understand it and receive it. And so the devil comes in and snatches away what's been sown. And so I think what Jesus was saying is that there are going to be some people in this life who hear the gospel and and their minds and hearts are hardened by pride, sin, and rebellion against God and self-worship. And so when the message of Jesus is brought in, they're going to reject it outright, and then Satan will play this active role in removing and distorting the truth. And we see that from people who are antagonistic to the message of the gospel. And so that's a very clear-cut thing we see. Not everybody that you present the gospel to is going to receive Christ, right? Mm-hmm. But then he talks about other soil, and this is, I think, relevant to our conversation. The second soil that the seed falls on is rocky ground. And it's a type of soil that hears the message and responds to it, but Jesus says there's no root in it, so it doesn't grow or develop. And so when pressure comes, when persecution comes, when difficulty comes, that person falls away. And Jesus said it's because the, the truth of Jesus never took root. It never really took hold in their life. And, and so I think per our conversation, I think what Jesus is talking about is the easy believism Christianity we have in so many places where people pray a prayer, or they get baptized, or they grow up in a youth group. They're in that Christian subculture. Those things are outward professions, but but when pressure comes and when difficulty comes and when it's no longer cool to do that, um, you see that the gospel didn't actually take root and that that faith just withers up and dies. And then we see another type of soul Jesus talked about, and that's the seed sown among thorns. And that's the heart that hears the word, but it has no room for the word because of the cares and the wealth of the world. And so gradually, and sometimes even unknowingly, the thorns grow up and choke out the seed, and it's fruitless and dead. So when we're talking about people that get too busy to practice the Christian faith, or they get too obsessed with material possessions or entertainment or popularity, what Jesus is saying is that's like thorns that are going to slowly and gradually choke out the message of the kingdom in somebody's heart and life. And so this is why some people walk away from the faith because in their heart they were truly more obsessed with the cares and the worries of the world than they were the the kingdom. Hmm. And, and then the last soil is what we all want to be, and that's the receptive heart where we hear the word and understand it, and it takes root, it grows, and it grows in maturity and bears fruit. But I think that's relevant to our discussion today. Make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I think the takeaway from this is how we respond to these people that we we know, like friends and family, loved ones, yeah. who have distanced themselves from our faith. Like, what? How do we interact with the? For those who are like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, do we do we do the shunning thing? Do we uh, do we sneak in their house and steal their vinyl records and then burn them <laughs> in their front yard? <laughs> They're like, what's this? A Sandy Patty cassette? How did that end up on my nightstand? Oh gosh. That's a lot better than Metallica that you've been listening to. Mm. Mm. Sandy Patty. Wow. Mm. I wonder what she's doing back. now. 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing I would say is if you have a family member, a loved one, or a friend that walks away from the faith, man, love them like crazy. Show your love for them even more so now than you did before. Even if it hurts. Stay connected to them as a friend. Um, Stay in touch with them no matter what. Keep praying for them. God isn't finished with them. But don't ever let that be a reason for you to just cut them off and just go, well, when you agreed with me about this, then we were friends, but not anymore. I'm done with you. And I think more than anything, and I think we've said it a couple times today, listen to their story. Be quiet. Listen. Do more listening than talking. Ask good questions. Um, find out the why behind how they got there. Like their story. Like what? Like what is it that led you here? And then maybe even the what that it is they're actually rejecting. Are you rejecting uh, the biblical Jesus? Or are you rejecting this false Jesus you've been taught? Are you rejecting Jesus? Are you rejecting the toxic church culture that you came from? And then if you have an opportunity, you can respectfully and gently engage in kind of a healthy dialogue that addresses their questions and doubts without dishonoring them or trying to make them feel stupid or trying to win a debate, just loving them and talking with them through it. And it may take years of you doing this, and they may never embrace the message of the kingdom but you, we have to have faith to know that, man, um, God isn't finished with them. And if the gospel is true, the gospel has real power and it can stand up for itself. Hmm. Yeah, for sheezy. For sheezy. I think that's in the Greek somewhere. <laughs> I got a joke for you. Yeah. Why, do, why does Snoop Dogg carry an umbrella? I don't know. For drizzle. For drizzle. <laughs> For drizzle, Gabe. He carries it for drizzle. Oh, gosh. Do you know that? I'm just... It's for drizzle! It's for drizzle, Gabe! I'm over here skim reading... (laughs) I'm over here skim reading Sandy Patty's Wikipedia page. (laughs) You're like, where is she now? I bet she probably is in the Nashville area. I bet I could probably Uh, drive by her house. She's actually in Oklahoma City. Oh, she is? Never mind. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think. I see a lot of Christian musicians here in the Nashville area. Uh, my buddy Kyle and I were making a hospital visit for somebody from our church that was having surgery, and we ran into Michael W. Smith in the parking garage. Mm. Yeah. And he saw us, and we saw him, and we both looked at him, and he looked at us, and he couldn't find his car. <laughs> it's very clear that he had no idea where he was going. He's so. like, my car in this world. <laughs> Looking for the place. Where I park my car, I park my car in this world. Did you tell him to go west, young man? Yeah, I did. I was like, hey, you're walking east. Instead, go west, young man, when your car oh. is not east. That oh, was a pretty good, gosh. do you think that's a pretty good mid-80s Michael W. Smith impersonation? Yeah. You just got to pinch your nose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we probably need to end this podcast episode because this is getting we off do. the rails. Yeah. Dave is going on Wikipedia looking up Sandy Patty. You know that's a key. You know. <laughs> it's about time to end this episode and wrap it up. So, oh, thank she, you guys for listening. I was well, just going to say, she is looking good for her age. Okay, that's weird. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, anything, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at Beards and Bible Podcast at gmail.com or reach out to us via the Facebook. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you.
Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.